And I'm going to introduce the executive director of CoVenture and the mastermind behind all of this, Michael Lowe. Thanks, Brian. And uh, thanks so much to everyone who showed up tonight. I always like to take a poll at the beginning to see exactly who's in the room because we are not just about, I mean, we are very much about Carbondale and, and, and entrepreneurial spirit here in, in Carbondale, but we are so grateful to be able to celebrate the Roaring Fork Valley and beyond and to bring together all these resources. So a quick shout out. Who's from Glenwood? Thank you. Aspen? Basalt? Okay, Rifle Glenwood Springs? All right, thank you, thank you. What about outside the valley, outside the state? All right, excellent. And then of course, who's from Carbondale? <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Well listen, we have a great show for you tonight. We're just so proud to uh, put forward these six businesses who've been working so hard on their decks and uh, on their business model and go-to-market strategy and I think you'll be just amazed at, at their stories and, and the fact that they're here in Carbondale and in the Royal Fork Valley and, and just doing great things for, for economic development, economic resiliency. I think I want to start off by just talking about the last year because uh, many of you who know me and, and sort of know our team know it's been exhausting <laughs> and it's been a lot of work, but it's been worth it. And I think the evidence is, is right here in this room, and certainly the evidence will be beyond stage tonight. But we put eight businesses on this stage last year, not knowing what would happen. And we raised over a million dollars for five businesses. And, thank you. And what's exciting about that is that that money and that gift has led to almost 50 jobs in Carbondale, Colorado, 50 new jobs, eight of which are executive positions. And, and this is just a snapshot of, I think, what we hope to accomplish, not just in Carbondale, but, but regionally. That's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, along the way, we've coached over almost 100 entrepreneurs. We've written a bunch of grants. We've, we've developed all these great new partnerships. We've created this great co-working community, which now has been able to move to a proper facility. I and mean, we have been so grateful for our our relationship with the Third Street Center, and they gave us our start, as they have so many other businesses. But we knew at some point we would be outgrowing this facility. But as we moved to 201 Main Street, and are working closely with Tyler Mabius, and, and, and out of his generosity, have, are able to kind of be in this space, we're also grateful to start to think of Carbondale as a campus. So even though we want 201 Main Street to be ground central for economic development, the Third Street Center, the creative community, Colorado Mountain College, and so many other locations in Carbondale will soon become this growing campus to support entrepreneurial activity. So we've laughed a lot, we've lost a lot of sleep, but we ultimately have emerged with a solid vision and a great team. And up there you can see, this is what we're about. We're about helping people do good in the world by being great at business. And I think if you talk to any of our entrepreneurs, you'll discover that it's more than about making money. It's more than about growing their bottom line. It's about giving back to their community. It's about doing the right thing, not just for the business, but for the people that are involved in that business. And I think we are so grateful to have the opportunity to work with these folks. So this year, we celebrate becoming a regional resource. And I think the six amazing businesses pitching tonight are representing Carbonell, Basalt, Glenwood, and Grand Junction. And we're just so proud that we can tell this story of not just economic resiliency, but also economic diversification. 
it's it's no mystery that that we wanted, we wanted to to find businesses that could help with this diversification. So the businesses tonight will be sharing stories about tech, renewable energy, and product innovation, and companies that are based here but have global reach. I'm also excited to announce three important partnerships. We've officially merged with Aspen Entrepreneurs, and Dave Mayer and, and, and that whole group has been a really important part of our growth. And we're grateful to Dave and his team for joining our force and for Dave stepping into a board position. And we look forward to continuing to serve that community as best we can. Also really excited. Let's give that a round of applause for Aspen Entrepreneurs. Yeah. Also excited to announce a more robust partnership with the Office of Economic Development and the Small Business Development Council. Both public agencies, but they've been a vital part of our growth. And I'm pleased to announce that we are the first recipient on the Western Slope of a very prestigious business incubator grant. This five-year commitment from the state is going to provide us the kind of stability that we need to not just grow, but to really maintain this momentum that we've built. So a big hand of applause for the SBDC and OETA. I'm also grateful, and most of you had a chance to, to sort of meet some of our strategic partners who are venture capital funds and, and re represent other financial engines in the state, but I think it's, 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 we are grateful that we can also announce that we are growing our partnership with Four Points Funding and the Greater Colorado Fund, and with the, with the emergence of West, this Western Syndicate Fund, which will allow our local investor community an easier way to participate in supporting these businesses. So thank you for, for joining us, and we look forward to offering them a satellite office at 201 Main Street. And as we say, we're about co-working, incubation, acceleration, and venture capital. So we appreciate these gentlemen stepping forward to help us with that part of the equation. So finally, I want to thank our strategic partners, because it really has taken a village to get here. And I, I encourage you, I'm going to forget names, and I apologize in advance, but in your program, there's a definitive list of, of, of community champions and businesses that have stepped up in a big way to help us take this next step. But I want to specifically give a shout out to Colorado Mountain College and the Isaacson Institute, University of Denver, of course, the Office of Economic Development and the Small Business Development Council, Startup Colorado, and Roaring Fork Leadership, who in many ways is our sister organization. So a big round of applause for, for those groups. And I also want to thank our regional partners, Garfield County, Alpine Bank, Colorado Lending Source, and especially our local community partners, Third Street Center. Colin and his team has just been an absolute, just invaluable to what we're doing. The Carbonell Creative District, uh, having Amy Kimberly, Kimberly in the room to support us. We, we look forward to getting her energy into what we're doing and to help serve the creative community better. And uh, Carbonell Rotary, our first our first sponsor, and of course, the town of Carmadil, who stepped up in a big way in our moment of need and has helped us kind of take this next step. Yes. As you were wandering around the expo, you saw a lot of businesses. These businesses have also been a, a vital part of our growth. Copy Copy, Performance Electronics, Village Smithy, Susie Jimenez, KDNK, Aspen Public Radio, Royal Fork Brewery, Fat Tide, Bethel Party Rentals, Bonfire, Sunshine and Moons, Juno, School Blocks and Fastgate are just some of the local businesses that have stepped up to help us take this next step. Let's give them a round of applause. 
And, and a special shout out to, to Connie and, and Carrie at Marble Distillery. They are official sponsors of the Expo, and, and I, I'm really pleased to kind of give them a special shout out because uh, Connie went through our accelerator program last year, and I think we were, we're pleased that we've been a part of helping her business model get to a place where she's now going to be distributing her products globally. And so that's a huge win for Carbonell, and it's a huge win for us. I think the final note I want to say is it, it does take a village. And, and, and for many of you in the room who represent those organizations, a heartfelt thank you from me and from our team to helping us take that next step. So at this point, I would like to uh, welcome a dear friend to our organization to the stage who's been just a champion for rural economic development for almost the last decade, actually more than the last decade, but specifically the last decade in rural Colorado. And uh, Mark Nogger has been just a fantastic champion. He's the fund director for the Greater Colorado Fund, former CEO of Startup Weekend. And before I invite him to the stage, I just want you to know when we think of VCs, we think of, you know, these hot shots flying in on helicopters. Well, I just want you to know that Mark showed up with his lovely wife in a van that he plans to sleep in out back at the end of this event. So that's how we roll in Colorado. Please welcome Mark Nogger to the stage. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it's true. Living in a van now. Um, I'm going to pull this on over. I've got some notes to keep me on track here. Otherwise, who knows what happens when you give me a microphone. Um, so first of all, Mark Nogger, I am uh, very pleased, honored to be up here tonight. I think I grabbed the mic at the end of the last event, and I said a few things, and Mike was like, oh, that was really good. Maybe we should have you actually speak formally. So uh, I earned, I, I guess I stole my spot um, informally. But I wanted to share a little bit of my experience. Um, I was one of the co-founders of an event series called Startup Weekend. Uh, we ended up hosting events, helping entrepreneurs learn how to take the first step to actually build a company. Um, we built that from pretty much the ground up, incubated in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, team built out in Seattle. We were doing about 1,000 events a year in 120 countries. I was fortunate enough to fly around the world to about 50 countries myself, meet with prime ministers, prime ministers, presidents, heads of Fortune 500, everybody trying to figure out, pardon me, everybody trying to figure out how do we do this startup community thing? How do we build entrepreneurial ecosystems? And this was right on the heels of the 2008-2009 recession, right? Right when we realized how important entrepreneurship actually is to our country. Turns out, small businesses less than five years old are responsible for almost 100% of jo net job growth in this country, right? It's not, right? A hand of applause, round of applause for the entrepreneurs, right? It really comes down to that. Um, so. In my journey, we ended up selling our company to Techstars. They are still stewarding and running still about 1,000 events a year around the world. Um, I actually was born in uh, Mountain Town and was raised in Mammoth Lakes in California before my own startup journey. I found myself uh, a, a path back to the mountains in Telluride to help run the Telluride Venture Accelerator with my wife, Ashley, who is now running the program. Um, but this amazing thing where people kept saying, I think you're cheating at life. You get to work with startups and entrepreneurs and live in a mountain town, right? A lot of you are shaking your head, right? Like some of us feel like the, the ability to actually do that. You don't just have to be a, a ski bum to live in a mountain town, right? Or you don't have to uh, be able to afford the second home to be able to come there first. I, I think we're entering kind of a new phase, a new era of entrepreneurship. Um, so jumping in, I am now running the Greater Colorado Venture Fund 
We are explicitly focused on supporting businesses across rural Colorado. Uh, it's a $15 million fund investing in about 40 companies over the next five years and uh, average check size of $250,000. Um, the state is our largest LP. They have recognized the need to not only invest in the great things that have happened across the front range, but now to shift that momentum and invest in the rest of the state. Um, so we're, we're fortunate enough to be able to kind of steward this mission of how do we help the rest of Colorado realize the growth and prosperity that the Front Range has seen. Um, you know, one thing I have to say growing up in a mountain town, when I graduated from high school, everybody was on a path. Everybody told me, you have to go to college. I naturally went to college. Um, I ended up getting into grad school. I dropped out of grad school after my first semester. I realized it wasn't for me. I thought I was alone. I thought I was a complete reject. I went to like 50 different job interviews. Um, I realized I was a little different. I was almost unemployable. I tried to start like three different companies. Uh, thought I was completely different. Never used the term entrepreneur once on that, in that process. Um, comes to come to find out, um, I, like many others, maybe didn't get the value out of a college degree that we might think. Having a society that kind of built us up, put me on a path, I followed that path and didn't find the reward at the end of the rainbow, right? Um, but coming out of that, now you see companies like Facebook and Google and Ernst & Young, some of the biggest Fortune 500s in the world, dropping a requirement for a college degree. Interesting. Our society is changing. No longer is a college degree the way, especially not the only way, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur. What's the last thing you want to do if you want to become an entrepreneur? Go immediately to an investor before you even know what you're working on. <laughs> Go to a lawyer because they're going to take your money. Sorry, any lawyers in the room because you're not ready for it. Or go to school. Go get an education expecting that's going to show you how to start a company. It might help you learn how to run a company, um, but it's not going to help you learn how to start a company. Um, and I think this, this is kind of encapsulating a little bit the new American dream. I think the new American dream isn't, you know, going to a fancy college, graduating, getting a job, climbing the ladder, um, you know, retiring in the suburbs one day and having a second home. I think the new American dream is a lot more about being able to live and work and solve real problems in the world wherever you want. And I think you guys are here are a testament to that. Um, all of us living here. You know, I think we have a lot of interesting dynamics, realities playing around this. Uh, we've heard this, you guys have probably all heard it. We're, this is the first generation, the millennial generation, uh, to potentially make less and be less well off than the previous generation. First time in American history, interesting. Um, so again, just this shift is real. I wanna give you a few statistics around this. Um, for those of you who are last here, it might uh, ring a bell, but uh, I love to ask this too. Quiz, how many counties are there in America? Counties. all over the board, yeah, 3,017 I think is the number. Um, how many of those counties are responsible for 50% of all economic growth since the last recession? 20 counties, it's five metro areas responsible for over 50% of all economic growth since the last recession. In fact, since the last economic recession, 59% um, of counties in America, 59% of all counties in America are actually in a state of economic decline in terms of job creation and firm formation. Holy shit, okay, now I understand our political situation. True, right? Scary, really scary. We hear the things, urban-rural divide, 
kind of the wealth concentration, a lot of this, we see the politics on a day-to-day -day basis. It doesn't matter what side you're on. We all have to admit and own that there's a problem, right? And I think one of the, you know, leading into why entrepreneurship, it's not gonna be Republicans and it's not gonna be the Democrats that provide all the solutions, it's gonna be the entrepreneurs. Just like they built this country, just like they built the communities that we all live in, um, just like you guys are shaping and building the future for tomorrow, right? It is the entrepreneurs that shape the world that we live in. And I think that's something incredibly important that everybody in this room hopefully can resonate with and almost take a little responsibility for. It's an important thing you guys are doing. So if you're sitting next to an entrepreneur, if you are an entrepreneur, find another entrepreneur, thank them. Because it's not easy, right? Being an entrepreneur is probably one of the least rewarding, hardest, lowest paying jobs you will ever get. Maybe that college education would have worked out a little better if I was going just after money. Um, turns out that wasn't the case. But, you know, this is, this is, again, back to shaping the futures of our communities. Because entrepreneurs, they're the ones that end up being involved in defining our school system, our local politics, right? They're the ones who end up creating the jobs not just for themselves, their families, but their neighbors. It's, it's this investment in our communities that is going to lead to a lot more sustainable, a lot more uh, diversified, a lot healthier types of economies, um, a lot more independent on one another. Because I think when you think about the future of mountain towns, it's not gonna be 10x growth in skier visits, right? It's not like the miners 50 years ago were thinking it's gonna be 10x, maybe they did actually, I, I took out over my skis. The miners, 10x growth in you know, the amount of ore coming out of the hills, right? At some point that hit its cap. And it's not about a growth agenda of adding and building the next Facebook in Carbondale, right? Um, in Telluride, we like to say that uh, we have this thesis, five $10 million companies could have a double digit impact on our local GDP. Five companies, five $10 million companies. The average $10 million company uh, actually ends up employing about 30 individuals at an average salary of $70,000. Those are full-time, year-round, benefit-paying jobs. Those are the type of jobs that help us tackle things like housing affordability, healthcare, right, from a different angle. Yes, we need solutions. Yes, we need a whole bunch of other things. But we also need to be able to invest in the people and the jobs and the community members that can also participate in the, in the reality of the world that we live in today in our communities. Um, and again, I think it really is the entrepreneurs that are doing that. So um, kind of bringing it full circle here, you know, my dream is that what's happening here is it's not just about Carbondale, it's not just about the Western Slope, not just about Colorado. Um, just like we saw what Boulder kind of did for startup community revolution uh, in the last decade, I think we're starting to see the rest of Colorado lead conversations across the nation and even the globe and what's possible for the the, you know, the next generation of startup community building, right? I, it, it, it really comes down to uh, the culture that we have coming together as a community like this. The number of names that are up here on this board. It's an incredible thing that is very unique and very special and something that we should all cherish as Coloradans, as Western Slopers, right? Something we're all very proud of, very tied to our identity. That's something I take very seriously and I get really excited about. Hell, I just bought a van and I'm touring around it. My partners and I spent like 300 days or something between three of us traveling around the state in the last 18 months. Um, just working with entrepreneurs, investing in companies now as well. 
um, an amazingly amazing thing to get to do. Um, so again, I, I want you guys to think just like Bo what Boulder did for the last generation, just like you might see, say, Steve Case in his Rise of the Rest, what he's doing across the nation, proving out that kind of these tier two cities can now perform the venture capital funds and the startup hubs of Silicon Valley and New York on the coast. I think we're doing that for the next generation here in places like Carbondale. Um, so, you know, what does that really lead to? That leads to a future, that, lead, that, that leads to communities where I can envision my kids, where they can stay, they can find jobs, their kids might be able to find jobs, afford houses, contribute to the community in a meaningful way, right? That is a future I wanna be a part of, and that is a future that we are all building together, and again, that is you as entrepreneurs, something really exciting. So again, a uh, quick round of applause for all the entrepreneurs in the room, even those that aren't pitching. Great, so I'm gonna get out of the way now. Um, I have one ask, one last ask. That's for everybody in the room who's not pitching. Um, you're, gonna, you're gonna get to hear from some amazing companies. I want you to challenge yourself. If you have something to write on, everybody's got a phone. That's the only appropriate use of the phone, by the way, put that on silent during the presentations. Take a note. What's one thing you could do for every company that pitches tonight? One thing you could do. It's an introduction, piece of feedback. Maybe you want to write a check, right? Maybe you know somebody that they should hire. What's one thing? Challenge yourself, right? It takes a village, but think about that. If literally only 10% of you ended up doing one thing for each company, think about the value that that would actually create. That is the value of community. Anyway, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being a part of this. Let's thanks, hand it over thanks to Thanks so much, Mark. Mike. Appreciate it. So um, just a few rules of engagement and a few reminders. Um, bathrooms, I think most of you know, are kind of out in the hallway. I would just ask that if you have to exit, maybe wait till the Q&A and not during the pitches. I would also, as Mark said, please uh, silence phones. We're welcome to take photos, but just silence your phones. And then um, I would say you're welcome to ask questions. I know all of you are gonna have questions and, and, and thoughts. All these presenters will be at their respective tables after we're done here, and please go talk to them. And certainly, if there's anything that, is in, that Mark has inspired, let them know. So, on that note, I would like to uh, tell you a little bit about our first presenter. And before I do that, I want to let you know that our last presenter, 10 years ago, maybe seven years ago, was in a very similar place as this first presenter. But I'm especially proud of Andrea and her involvement in our community, because even though she's at the front end of her journey, she's been with us from the beginning. She actually spent time with Aspen Entrepreneurs five, six years ago with Dave and his team, just kind of fleshing out her idea, came to us to go through our incubator program last year, made it to the final Shark Tank event, did not win the big $10,000 prize, but still was a finalist. And in the last eight weeks, we've kind of enrolled her in our accelerator program. We've worked through her business model and a go-to-market strategy. And we're proud to say that she's actually dropped her, her app onto iTunes. So proof of concept is there. And uh, without further ado, please welcome Andrea to the stage, and she's going to tell you about her software. Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing? I just realized that's not my latest deck, but it's fine. I got it. <laughs> my name is Andrea Rego, uh, and I'm the founder of Italia. 
So I'm an architect. I'm actually third generation architect in my family, which means that I grew up in the world of design and construction. It also means that I've seen how technology has been impacting this industry over the years. So I'm from Lima, Peru, and I moved to Colorado a little over five years ago. When I moved here, I specialized in residential architecture. And something small that I had noticed working in Peru became a very explicit pattern here. That was that our clients were coming to us with very specific ideas of what they wanted. So specific, they even had pictures. And they were so clear on what they wanted that after we were done designing the infrastructures for their homes, they didn't want to move forward with an interior designer, which meant um, that they really wanted to do the whole design process themselves. They wanted to go shopping and picking out uh, finishes and furniture for their homes. And for me, as their project manager and architect, meant that I had to put all of those ideas into actual graphics and spreadsheets. That's when Atelier started taking shape. And to tell you what our product is, I should um, do it through the eyes of our users. So meet Bruno. He is a local uh, manufacturer carpenter that just opened his e-commerce shop. He even got white glove service so that he can reach everybody in the country with his furniture. This is Georgina. Um, she's the typical girl that's been curating Pinterest boards like crazy with interior design ideas. And she just got her like a new place. So all of those design ideas are going to take shape into physical space. Bruno's challenge is that his website's not getting as much traffic as he expected. Um, and since most of his revenue gets put back into production, he can't really afford to boost it. Georgina's challenge is that she knows she needs at least 55 different items for her new home, from like lighting to furniture to paint. Um, and she doesn't really know where to source all these things, how they're going to look in her space, how they're going to fit, how much money it's going to cost her. So here comes Atelier, an easy and simple to use home design app for both of them to solve their problems. So Atelier gives Bruno an outlet to reach consumers like Georgina um, without having to put all that budget into marketing. And it gives Georgina the perfect platform to visualize all of her design ideas, see how they fit into her space, and most importantly, buy all that she needs in one simple platform. So let's break that down for you. Oh yeah, it saves them money and makes her money. The other way around. Um, so it starts by giving Georgina a starting point. It identifies the styles that she wants to work with, and it pre-filters options for her. Then she can create a model of the room that she wants to decorate using augmented reality, and in this model, change out finishes like flooring and paint and see exactly how much money is going into all those updates. Then she can add furniture and decor from providers like Bruno, and most importantly, buy everything she needs within one platform without having to visit multiple websites at the same time. So for us, that means that we can benefit from both parties. Atelier is a free app, free download, and it has two main revenue streams. The first revenue stream is that we charge a commission for our providers um, for each sale that they make through the platform. The second revenue stream is we upsell our users like Georgina to a freemium. This freemium gives them extra support for their design projects and also the ability of integrating pieces of furniture that we don't support 
or that they own. As you can see, we are very invested in the design process from the beginning to the end. Um, and before I tell you why, I would like to ask you guys a question. So raise your hand if anybody in here has ever needed to go through a home improvement project. Leave your hands up. How many of you have ever needed to buy anything from furniture to shelves to paint for your houses? Double hands are good. <laughs> so look around. It's basically all of us in here. And to put that into numbers, according to house research, the home improvement project is a $1.3 trillion market, and it's growing. A snippet of that is $178 million are made per day in online sales alone. And to make it even more compelling, 58% of homeowners are saying that they'll do a home improvement project within the next year. And who are the top players in the market? Where, well, um, surprisingly, it's the boomers and the millennials. So yes, we don't agree in a lot, almost nothing, <laughs> except for buying couches. So boomers are still the lead consumers. And as they retire and move into new homes, they're going to have new projects coming up. While millennials, well, we really love that Instagram-worthy lifestyle. Um, we like showing off. So we spend money on that, and also avocados. <laughs> but how can we, as a brand, um, bridge the gaps of what's available in the market right now and really provide these two demographic demographics with a more compelling service? So there is a combination of three main things that's missing in the market right now in all the services available. That combination is Simplicity, user-friendliness, and usefulness. The combination of these three things as our value proposition will ensure that our moms can download the app and start designing right away without calling us to ask how to use the app. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we're trying to make something as overwhelming as home improvement into something manageable and accessible. This really empowers our users to see what they can do on their own. And us millennials love getting empowered by technology. <laughs> um, but most importantly, we have one uh, thing that differentiates us most, and that is that we're making sure that the brands that come and work with us are brands that we've curated to ensure that they have good quality products and thanks to the help of CoVenture, products that give back to the planet too, and they're conscious of their trade uh, practices. That's something that neither Amazon nor Wayfair can say on their behalf. So let's um, sum it up. Not only do we offer a better product than what's available out there for our, uh, providers and our users, but we also give them extras. So as most of you may know, House is the leader in the field right now. Um, however, House doesn't do everything. What House has done very well is prove that there is a lot of abundance in this market. But for instance, House's augmented reality um, feature is not as user-friendly as it could be, and it's really not as useful as it should be. So not only do we do it better, um, but we also provide extra things for uh, users like guidance through their design, 
um, the ability to add their own pieces of furniture. We also help them plan for those bigger ticket items by allowing them to see all the possibilities within their budget. And that circles back to giving them that confidence and empowerment, which is really what we want to be recognized for. And then we have one big social component, which is split into two ways. The first one, we have a community built into the app so that our users can share their projects with their friends, rate them, um, get feedback, and which really brings more users in an organic way. And we have a second component, which is giving back to the world. And we do this by donating 1% of a yearly revenue to home improvement projects in the world. This is really what this whole brand's been built upon. So these are some of the brands that in the few days really that we've been launched uh, have shown interest in moving forward with us. These are brands, really good quality brands with a lot of um, Instagram presence. These are brands our users already trust and the kind of relationships that we want to build. Today, we're asking for $250,000 to close our angel round. This amount will drive us to revenue. And this is how it's going to happen. So we just launched. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and with this ask, we're going to be able to capture revenue from our commission-based uh, stream. We'll accomplish this by finalizing our platform for providers so that they can manage your inventory, um, finalizing the 3D catalogs where users can start interacting with that. And then immediately after that, we're raising a seed round. This seed round, is, this seed round is going to allow us to capture revenue from our consumers by taking our product to the next level. Um, and then it's just brand growth after that. So to show you what this means, we've calculated that 5,000 users will, 5,000 active users, which means that out of everybody that's downloaded the app, we only need 5,000 people to either upgrade or complete purchases, and that's going to um, mean a $1.1 million revenue year for us, which we're confident we can accomplish in, within the next year. And this is how it's going to happen. So the first steps are finalizing, consolidating relationships within all the verticals, um, taking our product really to that next level, and then start to drive as much revenue as we can from our commission um, revenue stream, and then it's just customer acquisitions through inbound marketing. We are a multinational diverse team with operations in two countries. We've been able to accomplish already a product that matches what's available in the market, and that's just our MVP. If you'd like to join us, either as a team member or as a partner, come talk to us at our booth later today sign up. We're going to be giving away t-shirts later. And thank you all so much. Before I go, if you have an iPhone, pull it out, download the app, and start designing right away. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Andrea. Go ahead and stay up, go ahead and stay up here for a little bit. So uh, we're going to let our distinguished panel ask a few questions before we introduce our next guest. So panel, what questions do you have for Andrea? Andrea. Yes, yeah. Dave. Yeah, well, just say it, and I'll repeat your question. How are you acquiring the manufacturing and the brands? Reaching out to them, finding out about them, um, 
thanks to actually Evan here at CoVenture, we found out of the good trade, their curate brands, that, like the brands that we want to work with. Um, so right now it's really doing as much re research as possible, reaching out to them. And what we're doing is we're giving them a six month free trial at first so that they can try out our products, see how it works for them. And after that, if they like it, then move on to the commission base. Next question. Yes, yes. Sean. Yes. Yes. So talk about the augmented reality. Yes, so um, that's actually my updated deck, sorry. But what you can do is, if you download the app, it reads the dimensions of your space. So you can read from corner to corner um, and then also calculate square footage. The next version, what it's going to do is use those dimensions and create the 3D model with those dimensions. The reason why we haven't do that, done that is because we need labor to create all the 3D catalog for the products. So that's why we're still a little behind. Yeah. We have time for one more question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that we do that is when you get the freemium. Excuse um, me one second. So question about how will you achieve the augmented reality? How the designers come into play? Yes. So there's a company that already does that. That's Havenly, and they're awesome. They're based in, in Denver. Um, but the way we offer extra support is by our freemium gives you access to extra content. And if you do need that like help, um, more personalized help, then people like me or other uh, customer service representatives can guide you. But we're not going to give you a full-on um, interior design, uh, what do you call it in English? Um, service um, consultation, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you, Andrea. Another round of applause for Andrea. Thank you. So this, this next company, a little bit of backstory. When we first started co-working here at the Third Street Center, our primary customer is what we call digital nomads, which for lack of a better word, you know, you have a sophisticated knowledge in programming languages and you can work pretty much anywhere, even, if, even though you may be working for Tesla or Google or some other large company. And we did actually have some digital nomads working for some of these bigger, bigger names. So one of those technologists, software programmers, Brian, he uh, came up with a great solution to a problem. And he uh, was able to get $3 million to do that. And with some of that money, he hired many of the, uh, the other digital nomads that were in our space. And I remember hearing these stories about co-working, meeting, and, and, and creating these new ideas. And I, I, I kind of believed it, but until Brian made this thing happen, it just, it just blew me away. So I think we, we are so proud to have Brian and his team as a part of what we're doing. And without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Brian Sobey to the stage. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everybody, for coming tonight. Um, yeah, I can definitely relate to the, the Nomad thing and the, the van thing. I've been in an RV for like two years out of the last three years. Uh, we just settled down here not too long ago. Uh, so my name is Brian Sobey. I'm the CTO of App Omni. 
Uh, AppOmni is a management and security platform for cloud and software as a service applications. And what those are, those are things like Google applications, um, Salesforce, Dropbox, Box, things like that. And AppOmni is a system that exists to help large enterprises and, and probably you know, medium or, or plus size companies manage those applications in a way that they can assure the, the security of their data. So we're split here in San Francisco. Um, a, a note to, to what folks were saying earlier, it, it's actually been far easier for us to build just an absolutely outstanding team here in Carbondale than it has been in San Francisco. We've more or less given up in San Francisco trying to hire because we can get such a great team together so fast here that it's not even worth it there. <laughs> so what do we do? Uh, plain and simple, App Omni stops data leaks. So here are a couple of uh, news articles that I just dug up to throw in here. Uh, we have, um, there's a, a, a data breach, I don't know, three weeks ago at this point with Box and a company found, uh, I think it was like thousands of links to Box documents for a variety of companies, a variety of different types of data. And it turns out that these were all really exposed to the internet. Um, the city of Denver <coughs> accidentally exposed a bunch of social security numbers to contractors through a misconfiguration in their Salesforce system. Uh, another company, Apollo, had a big data breach that was easy to find. I mean, we see these weekly, at least, if not more often than that. So how, how do we do it? Well, AppOmni connects to a, a company's cloud and software as a service applications, and we pull in all the configuration information, and we model it out. And then we can interrogate these models and say, hey, you've told us that you don't want your customer data to be exposed to the internet. Is that true? And so we can answer those questions. And then we can apply that to, to other elements. We can apply that to, hey, what third parties have accessed my data? When you look at Facebook had an incident with a company called Cambridge Analytica. People found out that Cambridge Analytica, they, I don't know, played some game or something on Facebook three years ago. And in that time, that company's been siphoning out their data because nobody had any idea. They didn't have any visibility. Um, so we, we model out these things and we're able to answer these questions about it. And then we allow companies to write basically policies where they say very simple things. They'll say something like, my customer data or my forward-looking financials should never be exposed to the internet. Contractors should never see social security numbers. And they don't have to worry about the internal configurations of these very, very complex systems. I mean, Salesforce itself is probably a six-month training pipeline. Well, the security team's not gonna send their people to a six-month pipeline to figure out one of 15 products they use. The compliance team's not gonna do it. So with App Omni, you can use us to abstract away the, the fairly messy and fairly technical internals of these systems and just write policies at your own normal business layer to say what you want to have happen and what you don't want to have happen. And we make sure that it holds true. And if it doesn't hold true, we'll let you know immediately. Uh, so you have policies, you have the ability to understand if your systems are doing what you think they're doing, and then you can do that continuously. Uh, the idea behind App Omni came out of a, a consulting practice that I had where we would go and we would go talk to companies and they would say, you know, we have these systems, they're really complex, we don't know how they work, we need somebody to tell us if they're secure. Uh, inevitably, the answer to that question was no, they were, they were horribly insecure. Tons of data exposed up to the internet as, as a matter of course. Uh, so we'd get them fixed up and then they'd call us back in a quarter and we'd come back and we'd do the exact same assessment and it would be a mess again. And it's because these are living systems. You're making changes to them at least weekly, if not more frequently than that. And so we'd come back and every quarter we'd do the same assessment and we'd have great results and we'd look like heroes. Um, which is great as a consulting practice. I mean, it was a great income stream, but it doesn't solve the problem. Making a company secure four times a year 
helping companies not have data breaches at four points in time a year isn't going to solve anything. So App Omni as a product came out of this as a way to do it continuously. Know before it happens. Don't have all your customer information, have all your user information exposed to the internet for a whole quarter before you know what's happening. And then we do that, and we do it across multiple different types of applications. You apply the same policy across not, ju not just Salesforce, but Salesforce, Box, Dropbox. Maybe you're a big company, you've done acquisitions, you have 15 different implementations of Salesforce. Uh, there's one company we're doing a, a POC with next week. They have 80 separate implementations of Salesforce that they have to maintain separately. Um, so we can do it not only multiple instances of the same thing, but multiple different types of applications. And you don't have to worry about how they work. You just tell us, and we go and we model it, and we figure it out. Somebody's got to be the expert in these systems. It might as well be our platform. So the, the mechanism of doing it is you go and you create uh, what's called a data inventory. And anybody who's had a compliance role knows that you need, a, you need to know what it is that you're protecting, and you need to know where it is. If you have customer data, if you have uh, patient health data, and you don't know where it is, well, you're not going to be able to protect it. So you have to create a data inventory. You have to know where your stuff is. You tell us where your stuff is. Uh, let us be your system of record for that data mapping. And then take your data classifications, like customer data or PII, which is uh, personally identifiable information, uh, the different categories of health data, and match those two up in policies to say this is what's supposed to happen with patient health data. This is what's supposed to happen with customer data. This is what's supposed to happen to our customer contracts. Um, and let us do that implementation through those policies. So a couple different personas. We have a, a security persona that we sell to. Uh, if you are, if your company making the news for a data breach would cost you your job, you're probably our security persona. And so to that persona, we offer a firewall for your data. Stop your data from going outside of your company. Stop your data from going to people that it doesn't need to go to. We offer a way for you to do that consistently across a bunch of platforms that you don't understand and you, you don't want to understand because it, it's a whole job within itself. And then we offer the ability to tell you in real time if anything happens that you don't want to have happen. Before it goes out into production, there's a big incident. And then for our compliance persona, we offer the ability to run your compliance reports instantly across your SaaS applications. Now, compliance projects are not my favorite thing. They take a long time. They're really annoying. You have to collect all these assurance controls. You can get that from AppOmni instantly, and you can get it from any point in time that we've been connected. So if it's 2019, you're doing compliance report from 2018, you better have already run that report and had that evidence. Otherwise, it's too late, because the auditor wanted to see it at the end of the audit period. With our platform, you could time travel. You can get it from any point in time. And then controls mapping. If you have something like a, a big compliance standard where you have a, a list of 500 controls, you need to have evidence for every one of these. With our platform, we can get that out automatically. You don't have to go and do a huge project around satisfying 500 controls across 35 different systems. And then in IT, we tie into your configuration management process. If you want to know if what, the, what the net effect of a bunch of changes is going to be, and is that going to cause a bunch of risk for your company, you can do that as part of the change management process instead of somebody reporting a data breach to you while it's in production and having a huge fire drill. Since we model these systems out and we know how they work and we know what's possible already, we can also do functional testing. If you're going to do, if you have a five, $10 million investment in these SaaS systems, and you want to be able to use that investment as efficiently as possible. So with our platform, you can write a functional test so you can make changes as fast as you can, knowing that not only is your data going to be secure, but you're not going to break your users. You're not going to have angry salespeople standing over your shoulder saying, hey, why can't, I, why can't I convert a lead, the thing that I get paid for? Why can't I do that because of some changes you make? You can use the App Omni platform to understand functionally what your platform should be doing and must be doing and make sure that you don't break them 
as you're moving fast with these investments in these systems. So it's next. Um, we closed a, a $3 million seed round in September. We'll probably look for our A in 10-ish months, depending on, on how everything goes. Uh, we have App Omni for Salesforce is generally available. Uh, we're selling that right now. We've got a bunch of really great POCs. We're about to close, hopefully, a couple of six-plus-figure six deals, um, hopefully this month. And App Omni for content management, which is Box, Dropbox, Google Drive, is in beta. We did our first release la last week, and so that's what we're actively developing to get a really good story across, hey, we cover this data every place it goes. And so we're in the customer acquisition phase, and we're, we're looking for companies that either understand that they have this risk and they need a way to solve it, or they have a big investment or they have a big strategy that's promoting software as a service or cloud applications, and they need help or they need to be made aware of the risks that they have. Uh, a lot of the folks we talk to, we, we actually have the sales demo tool that we can't use anymore. Um, we, we thought it would be the best possible way to show people this problem. And it scans these SaaS applications from the internet and shows all the data that's exposed to the internet. Well, what we realize is that all that does is cause them to go into incident response mode for like six weeks. And it totally freezes the deal. So like we know, because we can see what's available on the internet. Uh, our problem is helping people understand that the risk exists and helping people see that, you know, it, it, it's not that, it's not that when you go to use cloud applications, you've absolved yourself of all responsibility. Um, if you write the, the wrong address on, a, on an envelope and it goes to the, the address that you wrote, it's not the post office problem that that happens. And that's kind of how it is with cloud. If you configure a cloud application such that all your data, you're telling it to expose it to the internet, that's what it's gonna do. And that's not, the, that's not the provider's problem, and that's not the provider's responsibility. It's your responsibility as a customer and to know what you're doing with them. And that's how we help folks. Um, so it, if you're in one of these roles, or you know somebody that's in one of these roles, or you're on a board, or you, you have kind of a responsibility to a company that has a cloud strategy or something like that, um, or you're just kind of a thought leader and you understand the, the, the consequences of data, le data leakages, or you understand that um, Companies really need a safeguard against this. We're actively looking for strategic partners that can help us reach out to people and, and can influence people so they understand the risks that they face in cloud if they don't have any tooling or protection. Uh, it's, it's my email, soby at appomni.com. I'd love to talk to anybody who, who wants to talk about these things. I, I've been doing security my whole life, so this is, this is also my hobby. Thanks, Brian. Let's take a few questions from our, our panel. And again, uh, there'll be plenty of time for the audience to, to reach out and ask more specific questions. But Brian, if you wouldn't mind standing over here and just field a few questions from our panel. Yes, Bonnie. Yeah. So, so the question is, what's the cost of the customer acquisition? We don't really have good numbers on it. I mean, we're, we're young enough where it's basically we, we just cold email somebody or somebody comes to us or we do it through an introduction. We don't, I don't have good numbers on it because we don't spend money on it. We just talk to people through our own labor. Uh, Dave. Talk uh, about onboarding time frame. I'd say end-to-end -end is about three weeks. Um, it's usually dependent upon customers, because what normally happens is we go and uh, we, we connect to a customer systems, and then we have a tool that just says, uh, this is what these different people have access to. So pick somebody you're concerned with, uh, ex the, the internet. This is what the internet has access to, and they go, oh, God. And then they don't even know what half of it is. And so we go through the data with them, and we're, like, we're going through documents. I've walked through, through uh, 
contracts, a company's contracts from the internet and said, oh, this is a customer quote, very nice. Um, and so it, it's a process that's kind of collaborative in them understanding their own data and understanding what should be. Uh, for us to, to connect and to actually add value in showing is 10 minutes. And then we can, if somebody does have appropriate access, we can snapshot that to a policy. We can be up and running totally in 20 minutes if everything's good, but everything's usually a mess and so much people need to get involved. Bonnie, did you, or I'm sorry, um, Dave. Describe the perfect client who doesn't know they need you. Um, I know the federal government is a big problem. I, <laughs> I, I know state governments have a big problem. Um, I know pharma has a big problem. Uh, I've seen a, a bunch of pharma companies that manage drug trials through cloud software. They have a big problem that they need to know about. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of where we are right now. What we're trying to do is just pick a couple of things in a couple different verticals. Um, manufacturing is a good example. So I'd, I'd say probably pharma, technology, manufacturing, and government, even though I'm not totally confident about the sales process in government. So one more question, Bonnie. Talk about Series A. I know it's maybe a year from now, but, but if, if and when you get there, What's the plan? Uh, two main things. One is to support other SaaS products. So for us, supporting a new product is an exercise of becoming experts ourselves and then building that expertise into our product. Uh, we want to support NetSuite. We want to support Workday. We want to support um, a lot of requests for Snowflake, which is like an ETL. Uh, so we want to we want to have better coverage, and we want to try to get to if we can get the top 15 or 20. That's really like 95% of companies' data. Uh, so we want that, and then sales and marketing. I think we're at a point where certainly as we close a, a couple of deals that I hope are going to be coming soon, we'll have good validation that it's, it's a really a strong product market fit. Pricing is about right. And so now we just need to pour it on. Thank you, Brian. Another round of applause for Brian. Thanks, buddy. So our next story, John Ramo is uh, pr probably our most experienced entrepreneur. He's, he's had several several successful launches and, and an exit. I think what I, I really enjoy about the process here and through the experience is there's a, a certain amount of serendipity. So John came to us even though he had, he had great traction and a lot of experience. And we got to talking about the team he was working with. Turns out that his, his uh, partner in crime, or his primary partner in crime, uh, a fellow by the name of Ron Cole, who's a, one of the great thought leaders around this particular science that drives this technology, is an old friend. And we actually spent almost a decade uh, going after National Science Foundation grants in the late 90s to, uh, to implement sort of this cutting edge software into K through 12 schools. So it's a pleasure to circle back with John and his team, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce John Raymond and Boulder Learning. John. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. And uh, first, I'd like to thank Mike Lowe and the CoVenture team. I think they've done a tremendous job, uh, and, uh, and they're really helping entrepreneurs grow and uh, the community. So let's give them a round of applause. <clears throat> so I'm a co-founder and CEO of Boulder Learning. Uh, Boulder Learning is a language tech, uh, uh, excuse me, a learning technology company that uh, focuses on speech recognition. And uh, it was put together in 2016 from the merger of two companies, uh, Boulder Language Technologies, 
which was a, a research lab in Boulder, and Digital Directions, which was uh, a company that I founded, uh, an online education company. So education is a global industry, and uh, it's interesting to see how far it's come. Uh, it's a $6 trillion industry now, and it's growing to a $10 trillion industry by the year 2010. <clears throat> and that is uh, providing a lot of opportunities for uh, learning technologies that can uh, help students process information into knowledge. But there are real problems in education as we read in the paper every day. <clears throat> Thir uh, if, you don't, if a student can't read by grade three, they are four times more likely to drop out of high school. And uh, uh, we are 25th in the world in science. So there are real problems that learning technologies can uh, address. So that is a great market opportunity for uh, companies that do learning technologies. And uh, there are three areas that are growing very rapidly, cloud-based uh, solutions for learning. And that creates a smoother uh, experience for students uh, to have uh, uninterrupted uh, content. And then advancements in artificial intelligence are providing uh, great opportunities as well. And uh, the areas that are leading are North America and Asia. So that creates a market opportunity for uh, uh, Boulder Learning. And we sit at, in, in a sweet spot, uh, K through 12 education, online education, and artificial intelligence. And there's a sub-trend that we're focused on, which is speech recognition and voice recognition. As everybody knows who uh, has a smart speaker or uses Siri, voice recognition is becoming ubiquitous. And there are so many uh, applications uh, ranging from banking, virtual assistants, et cetera. And uh, this is true also in education, which by the way, it took 30 years for education to go digital. And now that it's here, it's, uh, it's really uh, booming. We also think that the uh, application of speech recognition to learning technologies uh, will uh, eventually do away with the graphic user interface in, in, in computing in schools. So what's our value proposition? Our value proposition is basically threefold. We have uh, state-of-the-art speech recognition systems that uh, save schools and uh, uh, districts time and money. We're also working to convert over $30 million of prior research grants into, uh, into uh, products that can help kids learn. And we're focused on spoken dialogue systems that can uh, also act as an assistant to teachers. So this is an interesting uh, graphic because the uh, uh, education executive expectations were surveyed, and they found that uh, almost half of the almost half of the uh, AI applications were for language and voice, and that's right in our sweet spot. So let me tell you about our products. We have four main products. The first is called Fluent Oral Reading Assessment, and it is a system that automates the process of reading assessment. And just to give you an idea of uh, the components of reading, there are five components of reading. There's uh, 
phonological awareness, phonetics, oral reading fluency, uh, vocabulary, and comprehension. Oral reading fluency is the one area that accurately predicts whether a student is at risk of failure. So what we've done is we've automated the process of assessment for oral reading fluency. And that's very important because right now most uh, reading assessment is done manually and it takes the teacher a tremendous amount of time to uh, manually assess all their students. And uh, <clears throat> the, we calculated that it would save about five million hours a year for teachers to use our automated system and uh, that could be used for other instruction. Uh, MindStar Books is a speech recognition platform for young readers and uh, they can use uh, speech recognition to learn how to read. And it's also interdisciplinary. They can learn science and also reading. Help Math is a program that uh, was developed under six and a half million dollars of funding from the U.S. Department of Education and the Institute for Education Sciences. It's, it's been on the market, sold in 28 states, and it uh, has revenues of over $5 million now. My Science Tutor is a virtual tutor system that teaches science to, to students, and we have a little demo of that over at our table. So competition, of course, is, is always there, but in the education market and in the education field, products don't sell unless they're research-based or research-proven. And that's one competitive advantage that Boulder Learning has. All our products have been uh, research-based and research-proven, and uh, uh, funding has come from, as I mentioned, uh, major organizations for those. We've got a great team. Uh, our chairman is uh, Eric Hamilton, who's the head of the Graduate Education Department at Pepperdine University. He's also uh, uh, works with UNESCO on projects all over the world, especially in Africa. Ron Cole and Wayne Ward are Carnegie Mellon PhDs uh, from, uh, that go way back, and they, they've actually mentored and trained many of the top speech people in the industry at Apple, Google, Microsoft, Nuance, et cetera. My background is a, as an education entrepreneur uh, and as a special education teacher before that. Uh, I built, this is my fourth company, and I built uh, the third one from, from startup and uh, was able to exit via an IPO. Wayne Ward and uh, Ron Cole also uh, are, are tremendous uh, business partners. Mike Willis is a, uh, uh, is my former partner, and he's a well-known Denver entrepreneur. So we, uh, at Boulder Learning, we believe every student deserves their own virtual tutor. And the interesting thing about this is that uh, research shows that the best learning methodology is one-to-one hu -one human tutoring. But we calculated that if uh, every student in the United States were to have their own uh, human tutor, it would cost about $72 billion a year. Let's use technology to give kids uh, a virtual tutor that can help them overcome learning difficulties. So uh, Boulder Language Technologies received $9 million from the 
from the National Science Foundation to develop the first spoken dialogue virtual tutor. And the most interesting thing that came out of the research was that uh, uh, the, uh, the results were that the learning gains were roughly equivalent to uh, human tutoring. And 70% of the students reported that they, they really liked Marty and they felt that she helped them learn science uh, better. 89% of the students thought the virtual tutor helped uh, a lot or some. So where's that work going? It's interesting. Uh, we, we have been working with some uh, scientists at the University of Denver for quite a while, and we think the next generation of virtual tutoring is going to be conversational, emotionally intelligent virtual tutors. Now, these tutors will be able to tell from the affect of the student whether they're having learning difficulties and present uh, adaptive material to overcome those learning difficulties, remediate the problems that the student has. This is, uh, this is very uh, new kind of work and we're one of the only companies in the country doing this kind of work. So what's our go-to-market strategy? We have uh, strategic partnerships. Uh, we just signed a, uh, recently signed a deal with iStation in Dallas. They're one of the largest uh, uh, education providers. They serve millions of students and they licensed our uh, reading assessment product, automated reading assessment and they're putting about $3 million into it on their end, and we'll be releasing that to uh, schools on their platform uh, this coming school year. We also sell through sales partnerships. As I mentioned, the Help Math program was sold by Sunburst and uh, direct resellers, uh, and we also sell uh, through uh, to homes and homeschools through Homeschool Buyers Co-op. So we think we have a company with global potential. And we've modeled uh, the uh, uh, rollout and, and the projections for these four products, and we think we can build a company that has north of $30 million in sales per year, uh, which would provide value for our shareholders and get some great products out into the uh, education market. So let me give you a little background on our, our financing. Uh, as I mentioned, we had a lot of grant funding, so we were converting uh, grant funding uh, into uh, uh, research, research into systems, systems into products. And then uh, when we did the merger, we put together an angel round and raised uh, $500,000, completed that round with our lead investor, Jim Calloway. And it's incredible to be in this room uh, having worked with Jim for so long. He was a big supporter of uh, uh, Boulder Learning and uh, really uh, was a tremendous mentor and a help in getting us to this stage. Let's have a round of applause for Jim Calloway. So now we're doing a uh, bridge uh, convertible note round, uh, pretty standard terms, and uh, I'd love to talk to anybody who's interested in participating. Uh, we don't have a minimum for that. Here are our takeaways, pretty much what I, uh, what I tried to tell you through this, uh, financial technology products and partnerships. And uh, we look forward to talking to anybody who's interested in talking. Thank you. Thanks so much, John. Let's take a few questions from our panel. Yes, Dave. Talk about pricing. Um, okay, so a couple of different things. With the Help Math program, which was sold, that, that was sold to schools on a, um, either an individual student basis 
or, or a, um, a per building basis. Uh, so uh, unlimited use, for instance, uh, a license for the program for one year would typically cost about $3,000. Uh, and that product was built especially for uh, struggling students, English language learners. So in a typical elementary school, they might have two or 300 um, ELLs or, or uh, students who are struggling. And, uh, and so the uh, $3,000 would cover all those. Another question? Yes, John. Talk about challenges to get this into multiple languages. Okay, so one correction, it's not text-to-speech, it's spoken dialogue. It's being able to talk to, to uh, uh, a virtual tutor or, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's fairly easy, we, for instance, uh, uh, the Help Math program, we, we are working with our partner iStation now on a, a big national initiative to uh, uh, combine Help Math with, um, with uh, uh, reading practice and, and, uh, and, and converting that into six languages. So each language we estimate would take roughly six months. All right, super. Thanks for the questions. The opportunities to ask more questions. Thank you so much, John. Another round of applause for John. So our next company, I think it's surprising to find a company with, with this kind of reach here in good old Carbondale, Colorado, but P4P Energy has uh, kind of been very dear to our heart. The founders, Stephen and Mary Catherine, have been in this, this community for quite some time, and it's just remarkable how much time and energy they've put into creating what I think is one of the greatest collection of IPs, intellectual property, around solar energy. And so it gives me great pleasure to introduce their new director of operation, Kendra Joseph. Hi everyone, I'm Kendra. Um, I just want to say before I start, thank you from the bottom of my heart for everyone for coming out to support small businesses in the Valley. Um, it means so much to me and everyone sitting here and Mike at CoVenture. So thank you. So I joined P4P after hiking from Mexico to Canada along the Continental Divide, an adventure that my dad so lovingly refers to as my quarter-life crisis. When I emerged back into society, I realized that I had to work for a company with a mission that I could stand behind. When I interviewed with P4P, our co-founder, Stephen Conger, let me know that P4P built structures to support humanity, and I couldn't get to Carbondale fast enough. But tonight I want to share with you more than just the mission of P4P. We worked so hard and I want to tell you where we've been and where we're headed. P4P has developed over 50 US and international patents for an innovative solar mounting technology. Now I know patents don't always mean products, but we have those too. P4P has <laughs> installed over five megawatts of fully installed systems. To give you a magnitude of what that really means, five megawatts is about enough power to support the electrical consumption of 4,000 residential homes. So more than the town we're sitting in today. We have two megawatts of projects in our pipeline and are in the final stages of a DOE-funded commercialization cycle. With powerful strategic partners knocking at our door, we're poised for rapid levels of growth. Poised for growth, how many times have you heard that before? Well, in our case, it's actually true. 
Like most industries, price is the main driver for a consumer's decision. As you can see on the screen, there really isn't much differentiation between conventional products. They're all made of rigid metal cross beams, and any attempt to lower material costs by reducing the size of those beams only uh, jeopardizes the structural integrity of a system. As populations grow and as land scarcity becomes more of an issue, especially in areas where it's already an issue, like India, there simply is just not enough suitable land to satisfy the level of installations needed. Communities will have to start to make the decision between implementing green energy or dedicating land to food or basic shelter, which is not an easy decision to make. So we don't want you to have to make that decision. Our technology offers several advantages over conventional solutions. Fundamentally, P4P uses tension steel cables rather than the rigid metal cross beams that you saw before. Steel's stronger in tension than it is in bending or compression, which means that we can support the same loads with less material. This, these advantages are magnified when panels are elevated or when spanning long distances. It's this versatility that allows us to construct solar in areas that would otherwise be cross-prohibited. So why do we care? Well, we care because the solar market is expanding exponentially. It's actually slated to be the largest component of the electricity mix by the year 2050. As communities around the world develop 100% renewable energy goals, the solar market grows. That growth is fueled by the fact that without subsidies, onshore wind and solar is the least expensive source of power. Our goal is to be positioned to support that growth like no other structural provider. And how are we gonna do it? P4P has engineered our, our products with several aspects in mind. Increasing uh, the modularity of components, ease of construction, and reducing the weight. We use lightweight space frame pods, seen in the first picture on the screen, to support solar panels. Those panels are then placed on long span cable trusses. Don't be fooled by the delicate lines of this structure. Those pods are nearly 40 feet long, which happens to be about the height of a four-story building. And those cable trusses span 125 feet from column top to column top. These structures are truly massive. So what gives us the advantage over our competitors? Mainly our technology and how unique it is. Because of the benefits of steel and tension, we're maximizing the efficiency of components. This leads to things like uh, faster construction time and less material and uh, a decrease in the site prep needed at the sites before you install solar. Actually, that decrease in site prep is a testament to the versatility of our products to accepting various terrains. That same versatility means that we have singular products that are capable of addressing multiple markets. Our modular pods and cable trusses can be repeated to obtain various size structures uh, using the same engineering and part types. Our customers have let us know that they value the aesthetics of our system. I can't really blame them. And have used that as a deciding factor in their choice of P4P's technology. Finally is our proprietary approach to solar. Did I mention before that we hold over 50 US and international patents? So why believe me? Well, you don't really have to. The Prime Minister of India also feels this way. After a solar conference in India, our co-founder and our C 
CEO of Indian offices, found themselves in Prime Minister Modi's private office, surrounded by him and six of his high-ranking government officials. They're explaining what I'm explaining to you today, the benefits of our technology. After sweating bullets in several fast-paced minutes of Gujarati, Modi uttered just one sentence in English. Are these the systems that we're looking for? To which his officials answered, yes, they are. After that discussion, P4P implemented two, two and a half megawatt systems over canals in India. The contractor for these projects had actually won the bid using a competing technology. However, they abandoned that solution when they realized our technology would save over 20% on the structural costs alone. It's not always easy to get contractors to abandon those conventional solutions. That means taking small steps in small projects in order to prove the benefits of our system. Think of these projects as the foundation for our future success, paving the way for conversations with future partners. P4P has recently launched our ground mount product in India. We are working with two of the largest solar EPCs in India to adopt our technology. Together, Ganges and Mahindra, who we're working with, um, <coughs> implement two gigawatts of solar power a year. That's enough power for one and a half million homes. By June of this year, we'll have our continuous canopy and our traditional carport products engineered, peer-reviewed, and ready to launch in the United States. This was largely funded by a DOE Sunshot grant, for which our main goal is re reducing the cost of material and structural labor by 30 to 40%, which we are on target to do. Using this, these technologies, we have over two megawatts of future projects in our pipeline. So that changed a little bit. Sorry about the wording there. So our technology, uh, the advantages of it are backed by how we're positioned in the market right now. The logos you see on the screen are companies that were willing to back our technology in a recent grant cycle. What we're most excited about right now is being in the final stages of contract negotiation with Ganges International. They anticipate using our product for 200 to 300 megawatts per year, which would completely transform our company. That's not the only thing that's going on though. We're also working with Mahindra to adopt our ground mount technology in India as well. Mahindra controls the same amount of the Indian ground mount market as Ganges. Together, they represent 40% of the Indian ground mount market. So what do these strategic partnerships mean for P4P? It means that we can quickly target multiple markets with minimal risk to the company. We'll work with these partners uh, by licensing our technology to secure a significant portion of bids using their supply chain resources, market traction, and customer relations. P4P charges a license and design fee on all contracted projects. This is a sliding fee based on how difficult the project is. When we have the capacity to manufacture parts, we'll also realize revenue from that as well. As we grow and as the target markets grow, we'll be able to realize revenue from project development opportunities, which will add to our bottom line as a charge percentage of overall project costs. We anticipate it taking about two years for our systems to fully mature, and we'll post a profit in 2021. This model assumes that only a very small portion of projects will obtain parts revenue, 
and that that percentage grows with increasing financial stability. P4P has built a top-notch team right down the street in our Carbondale, Colorado headquarters. Our co-founders, Stephen and Mary Catherine Conger, you stand up, <laughs> say hello. <laughs> have worked so incredibly hard to keep us on the cutting edge of solar. They've laid the foundation for where we are today and we're finally ready to grow and we cannot thank them enough. But we cannot do it alone. We're currently in a $700,000 raise for which $385,000 is already funded. The remaining funds will go to finalizing the DOE Sunshot Grant and funding some of the projects in India. A more significant round will follow which will raise money for critical team members to help grow our team. Now, you don't have to be like me and have gone through a midlife or quarter-life crisis to join the team at P4P. However, we are looking for investors who share our same vision and passion. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this, and please feel free to stop by our booth, uh, talk to our co-founders, and um, have a great night. So thank you. Thank you, Kendra. It's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy to think that we have these companies that have opportunities in India, but we're so grateful for P4P and all the companies for being here. Let's take a few questions from our, our panel for, uh, for P4P. Yes, Bonnie. Talk about your target customer. So right now we're targeting those solar powerhouses to help roll out our technology. So any developers that are, are implementing projects, they would already have the connections there. Yes, Dave. Uh, Talk about cost of goods of the pilot project to date. Uh, which pilot project? <laughs> the Over Canal project? Yeah. So, Stephen and Mary Catherine can probably speak to those numbers. That was before I was with the company. So I don't have that answer for you. But it's fair to say that as you, you, you grow, that the net on, on many of these projects is quite tremendous. Yeah, so the over canal projects, we realize a pretty significant revenue because of the difficulty of the projects. So like a ground mount would be a little bit less, but uh, the over canal, since no one else can really do it cost effectively, um, we would gain a more significant revenue. One more question. Right here. <laughs> yes. Yes. So right should we, here. We should Four point points. out that Four Points is already participating. Thank you. And we we, we thank them. So, Kendra, thank you so much. Right. Thank you. So. All right. How's everybody doing? We got two more companies. If you need to do a quick stand and stretch, this would be the time before I introduce the next company. But uh, again, we're just so grateful to have everyone here and supporting economic development in rural Colorado. So this next company I want to talk about is uh, one of the founder, one of the, the principals, John Patillo, is a personal friend. And I think one of the beauties of living in these communities is that sometimes the guy that you ride bikes with or you go ski with, and maybe they worked at a coffee house one day and, or at a bank, and then next you know they've started this company or they've helped start a company. So uh, it's been, it's kind of gives me great pleasure to introduce our next company, IO Mounts. Um, and it's been great to watch John and Tomas build this from a, a small fledging operation to really a substantial company that can have a, 
a real big impact on our economy. So without further ado, please welcome Tomas to the stage. It's a cheat sheet and uh, an excuse to use one of our products. Might as well. Um, hi, uh, my name is Tomas. I'm a founder at IO Mounts. Uh, I started this company a while ago. Uh, my background is in architecture, interior design, and furniture design. And as a designer, to me, design was always about making our environment better. Um, as mobile devices are taking such an integral part of our everyday lives, they are, in fact, becoming a big part of our environment. So. We set out um, to solve a problem where these devices are great when they're mobile, but what about what they're not? In fact, most of the time they're laying on our desks, on our nightstands, they're sitting in a cup holder of our cars, making them somewhat useless and when it comes to driving, uh, frankly, dangerous. So we solved this problem by creating a truly universal mounting system for all mobile devices. Um, in the last few years, we have paved the way to su for success uh, by creating a powerful system with cutting-edge magnetic technologies. Um, we created a lifestyle brand that ensures um, brand recognition as well as brand loyalty. Of course, we spend a lot of time and money and energy and um, building a very strong IP portfolio. We have several uh, utility patents, design patents, as well as trademarks. And we're constantly filing for continuations and new provisional patents as um, invention is, is part of, big part of what we do. Um, and last but not least, we've built a very robust supply chain. So we got to a point where we can fulfill just about any size order in 120 days or less. We have everything from design and engineering to uh, fulfillment all the way done. So we can deliver. So how are we different um, and how are we better, I should say? There are several solutions out there for mounting mobile devices, as you've all seen on Amazon and Alibaba and all this stuff. The problem is with most of those is that they're yet generally poorly designed, cheaply manufactured, and usually get obsolete by the time there's a new product release, uh, contributing to our already enormous landfills. So we set out to solve this problem by creating one universal system for your entire mobile lifestyle. Um, yeah, of course, we have several good reviews in major publications, and yes, we have some awards, but what we're really proud of is the tens of thousands of products that are out there used by our customers for the past several years. And why do they still use them? Well, one, because they're truly universal, and two, because they're made to last. A great example of this is Texas Tech University. They reached out to us about five years ago because they needed a tablet stand solution for one of their tablet-based tablet um, learning um, uh, products. We sent them one of our I.O. stands. A few days later, they ordered several hundred products. They loved them. A few months later, they ordered more and then more. And in fact, just this week, we uh, fulfilled another order for several hundred more units, five years later. So what does this tell us? Um, as you can imagine, in the past five years, they have gone through a number of different uh, mobile devices, tablets, yet are the same I.O. stand, which you could see in the previous slide there, is just as relevant as it was five years ago. It's because the system is truly universal. 
um, we don't do cheap products. We make our products to last. We know that there's a lot of competition in the bottom 95% of this market. We're not interested in that. Every product we make is, is well-designed and well-made, and it's probably going to outlast all of your mobile devices and probably you, um, to be honest. <laughs> um, yes. Sorry. I'm cheating. So one of the primary goals um, for us to do this and to provide a true to universal system is to make your mobile devices more efficient, more ergonomic, and most importantly, more fun. So speaking of fun, that's my favorite topic. Um, that's our old deck. But speaking of fun, uh, we created a whole line of uh, mounting solutions just for the active lifestyle. Whether you're biking or skiing or running or hiking or playing golf, we have a mounting solution for you. In fact, there are so many different solutions that we have that for us to be able to market it in every one of those markets is practically impossible. So how do we do it? The power of partnerships. We realize that instead of competing with the leading companies in specific markets, we'd rather partner with them and leverage their relationships and their market reach. And today we have several leading partners, as you can see here, and we're constantly working on new partnerships. Um, a great example is we have a company that provides IT solutions for the trucking industry. Currently, we have about 800 of our mounts in the largest trucking company in the country. And that 800 is just scratching the surface of approximately 3.5 million trucks on the road in the US alone. That's just one market. Another great way for us to reach larger customers is through uh, B2B markets, um, whether it's hospitality, agriculture, or um, healthcare. We have a solution for them. Our solutions are highly customizable, so they're a great fit for these markets. Um, you don't have to go very far if you go to the Hotel Jerome. Every one of their rooms has one of our iPad stands. Um, so where do we go from here? Um, I think I mentioned in the beginning that our product and our system is infinitely expandable. These are just a very few of the many, many items that we have in different stages of development. And there's a lot of solutions, like I said, that we can provide. We basically categorized our product roadmap into four main areas that you can see here. Our own branded device mounts, our partner and OEM products, lifestyle products, and product extensions. And this is all sold under one comprehensive brand that provides solutions for your mobile lifestyle. So um, with the proper funding, what we're planning on doing is focusing more on our B2B and our B2C sales primarily. That's where we see the largest margins. To be honest, to date, we have done approximately zero marketing and sales, um, and we still have tens of thousands of products out there. But that's where our focus is with the funding, because we know that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, we also want to provide more support for our existing partners and constantly be a new partnerships. So um, one thing that I should say that we've taken most of the risk out by creating a powerful technology backed up with uh, a robust IP portfolio and have a supply chain that, like I said, can deliver just about any volume of product in a really short period of time. So um, what we're looking for uh, today is $750,000. 500 of that would be in preferably in a strategic investment and another 250 in a convertible note 
to fund any inventory in case of larger orders that come through. Finally, I wanted to thank all of you guys to come out here. And I know all of you, I actually would encourage all of you to check out some of our products over there. And I know you're all going to want to buy one or two or more. So we made it much easier by offering everybody a discount code here that you can get on our website. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tomas. Please uh, stay for a little bit longer for questions. Um, panelists, a few questions for Tomas and IO mounts. Yes, Dave. Personally? Talk about testing. Maybe, maybe show us. Personally, um, uh, I would say about a few thousand miles on my mountain bike. Um, but I'm not, just the only, I'm not the only one, even though I call myself our uh, chief product tester. Um, that's what I have to do sometime. Yeah. But our partners at Clockworks Motorcycles, um, they've had their Harleys up over 130 miles an hour. They've, in fact, in one of their videos, they rolled an ATV that they had our, our mount, uh, mounted on um, accidentally, but the phone stayed. So we've done a lot of testing. Nice. Another question? Yes, Dave Harris. Talk about pricing. Okay, so not for we have actually a couple dozen different SKUs. We've showed a few here because there's not enough room on that page for all the products. Um, our prices range, our cheapest product SKU currently is about $25 range. The highest one is this guy right here. It's about 150, 160 bucks. This is brand new. Um, we just redesigned this uh, tall stand and this is actually in conjunction with one of our partners at Latchiac Music who, if anybody's a musician, probably knows of the brand. It's by far the highest end and best brand in microphone stands and music stands. So it's a big range. One more question, Sean? Talk about future strategy. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. Our focus has split a little bit a couple of years ago um, to two major ways. Um, partnerships, as we found, is our best way to reach most of the markets because, frankly, our market is so large that it's, it's, it's impossible for anybody to go after that. That's why we chose that route. In fact, people will ask me who are, who's our ideal customer. I always tell them, well, anybody with a smartphone, go figure out that out. That's a few billion people. Um, at the same time, we have done literally zero uh, marketing and sales towards our B2C, even though our, we have our website up and we're doing more social media engagement and we have an Amazon presence. But that's part of the big part of the, our race that we're planning on using it for is to push our retail sales, our B2C sales, because our margins are far higher than, than anything else. All right. Thank you, Tomas. Big hand for Tomas. So before I bring up our very last presenter, I want to just tell a brief story. When we first started this journey and tried to figure out co-working and we were doing the research, stumbled across an article in Forbes magazine about the best co-working spaces on the planet, which sounds like hyperbole, but after all, it is Forbes magazine. And WeWorks, some of you, many of you may have heard of WeWorks, was not listed as number one, even though they were by far the largest co-working space in the world. And very soon will probably be on the stock market. I think they're just months away from an initial public offering. But the number one co-working space was proximity. 
in little old Montrose, Colorado. And what, what fascinated me that it wasn't just about the co-working space, but it was about the software company that was created in the co-working space that soon became the primary mechanism that helped support the co-working and ultimately put Montrose on the map and became probably one of the great stories in rural America for how one, how this movement can transform one community. And so it's with a lot of pride that I introduce Proximity to the stage because in many ways they were at the same place that Andrea was 10 years ago and now here they are to ask for Series A funding. Please welcome Josh, CEO of Proximity. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I'm going to violate a few rules tonight, so uh, bear with me. Uh, I typically would not cheat in a pitch, uh, especially when there are people that know me in the room. But I redid this pitch on the drive down from Denver, um, and I did it for a reason. Um, you know. I wanted to kind of talk to you guys before we got started. Mike said I could have at least 10 up to 20 minutes. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I kind of wanted to frame my pitch for you guys. Um, you know, proximity space is evolving, and it's evolving quickly, and we're learning a lot. And our pitches right now, especially for me, uh, there are multiple people within our company that pitch, um, are evolving into more of an experience. I'm, maybe I'm getting a little bit older, maybe I'm just getting a little bit more gray than I should be. But I'm starting to try to focus on enjoying and, uh, and experiencing this as best I can along the way, no matter how nerve-wracking, and by God, you guys did such a great job. I don't like going last when there's such good talent going first. That sucks, man. But I did commit to myself to enjoy the process. So on the way down, I was coming from pitching this in Denver, and I was like, God, I don't want to pitch the same thing again. Like, let me pitch something different. So let me tell you about proximity. Uh, and I literally wrote this. Some there was a few people that were in the back that were watching me do this on a um, like a paper towel roll, um, and I was just kind of rethinking this. And I wanted to start with something that happened to me uh, this last week. I've been in Denver for the last week uh, at the fun conference, and I was speaking, and I got a question. So please don't ask me this question because I already had to answer it once. Um, how did proximity come up with such a novel idea, such a unique, world-changing cha idea? And I had to stop because, first of all, you know, I don't want to clean up vomit off the, off the uh, stage by a question like that. So I had to say, like, look, proximity didn't come up with a novel idea. I actually struggle to think that there are that many novel ideas, like truly novel ideas that are coming out at this point. What's coming out is a one, two, maybe even up to three uh, differentiating concept and view of something we do. And they're looking at it differently. So it wasn't novel that proximity built a co-working space. It was a little different that we did it in Montrose, um, but it wasn't novel. Co-working as an industry, I'll make sure I can do this, is a booming industry. It is a, what could be defined as a mega trend at this point, but co-working in general is not that unique. It is an adaptation of us connecting together. So it wasn't even that novel that while we were in the process of building a co-working space and in the first six months that I could literally kick a soccer ball and not hit anybody in that space, uh, we did play soccer a few nights in there, that the technology that we were using to function our business uh, was consuming more resources than the actual membership revenue that was coming in. Uh, because that required three, four, and even up to five different pieces of software all masterfully duct taped together uh, with a lot of digital duct tape. Um, it wasn't that unique, that proximity 
decided to build our own solution, the mother of all duct tape, uh, because we had friends and we had people inside of our group that could build. So us in this grand gesture of we will do it ourselves wasn't actually that unique because within the industry there are several spaces that have done that because inevitably co-working spaces collect technology people together so they can do that. So it wasn't, okay, that was not me. But I appreciate the break so I can remember to breathe. No matter how many times you do this, you still gotta remind yourself to breathe. So it wasn't that unique. What was unique is when we started to think about why the underlying problem existed and what could you do about it. Um, and that started to come into when we had friends that also owned co-working spaces say, hey, what is it that you guys use? And when you stop and think about when you let a friend use something, all of a sudden uh, the feedback that you get is a little less friendly than you would get from a stranger. Uh, they're a little more real with you. Anybody have friends that kind of tell you stuff you don't actually want to hear? Uh, and that's what we got. We had a group of about 14 spaces that were very close to us that decided to use our product. Uh, incidentally, my background within marketing, if you have 14 people that say they want to use something, that does set off some alarms that you might be onto a product. Uh, it's just kind of one of those kind of back of your head things that happens. But when you typically do a software like we were doing, you come out of your beta, you get all this feedback, and you, you, know, you fix it, you make it better, you do all those things. Well, we came back and we actually deleted it because we had learned so much along the way. Um, and what we had learned is that the industry didn't need, I'm actually not reading off the slides, these are for your enjoyment, not mine, um, didn't need another membership management software. It didn't need another door access system. It didn't need another conference room booking. That's what it had been spoon-fed to get started. What it needed was somebody to thoughtfully think about how it um, how the process of running a co-working space um, was going to happen in the future. So we came out and retooled the system to take care of what we knew, what we were tasting, what the problem was, as well as what we heard coming back. And we did a couple other things. Again, it's not, not the unique lightning bolt idea, it's what we did with what we were learning. And what we started to do is put up feature sets that were kind of core to the industry. And it gave us a separation from our competitors because it wasn't requiring duct tape to another solution. So it was cleaner, it was cheaper, um, it was easier, and it was intuitive. And that was proximity space. And along the way, there was a couple other ones. We're gonna talk about those. Coworking space in general is exploding. But the reason it's exploding is not necessarily because of the WeWorks, though they are helping and we are very thankful for them. It's not the Regis's, it's the fact that it is the adaptation of a workforce. Keeping in mind that right now, 43% of our workforce, I forgot that I can actually walk around. Mike told me I could do this. 43% um, of our workforce, uh, see now I can look at all you guys and not just you guys, um, is available for a remote working position at least one day a week. Um, and what that means is that you're, the way you're going to interact with your work environment will continue to change. But 43% of our current workforce can do that now. So this isn't a... It isn't a big aha that there's this new model out there. It's just us adapting to how our workforce is actually changing, which is why co-working is growing so fast. It's because the capacity is nowhere near where it needs to be to take the workforce shift that's happening. And it's, it's interesting that the workforce shift is not the thing that's actually being talked about. It's this booming industry, but it's actually the underlying workforce that is the big concern. So let's talk about the booming industry. Everybody heard of WeWork? If you haven't, 
Like seriously, get out of a rock. Um, so WeWork, Noddle, um, Regis, Spaces, those guys are, I got a question earlier, like how, much, how big are they? Um, those guys make up about two thirds of the market right now. But it's that one third pinkly colored 32% that I'm most interested in. And that is the independent side of co-working and that, it, that section is growing at about a 10 to one clip against the corporate side. And it's because of partnerships that were mentioned tonight, like with OEdit, a co-working space in every community. It's a resiliency play, it's a capacity play, it's an adaptation of a library, of a community garden. This is just where you're going to work or at least what your communities need to have available to them. So we built it. We built an easy to use management system. This is your product pitch within any, any pitch. So we built a beautiful intuitive system that continues to evolve. It also handles door access. So it's how you get in your space. It's how you communicate with your space. But there was this other underlying piece that we ended up doing, some fun maps to look at. And that is what happened when, and this is one of those little ahas, we knew we were gonna have multiple spaces. Uh, currently we have three. Uh, we knew that we wanted our members to be able to travel between them. So we connected them, something our competitors decided that that wasn't a normal SaaS thing to do. Uh, we also knew that members would likely have relationships with other spaces than just us. It's kind of one of those sharing rules that we assume you were going to work elsewhere. We're not the only place you will work. You will travel. So inherently, we connected all the spaces together. So that map is looking quite fun. Now, what's fun about this deck is it's been since January since we built it, and it is woefully out of date already. So I did manage to update, as of this morning, we have 347 brands that use our, our system, which, uh, thank you. Um, ooh, I got a clap. I was wondering if I was gonna get any claps out of this one. Um, and what we're planning on doing, we actually had to go back, which was a lot of fun, and revise our estimates. We were, and you'll see it later, uh, we were planning to do 450 spaces by the end of this year. Uh, I had to announce to our team a few weeks ago that we were modifying that to 450 spaces by the end of the second quarter and 1,000 by the end of the year uh, because of how fast we are onboarding. The reason is picking up speed is because we intentionally, intentfully built a, a circular motion within our customers and their customers. So we drive connections between members, which drive connections to space, which makes space more, spaces more stable, which means they expand to more spaces. Um, and it just keeps this wheel going. Um, and, it, and again, it's because we listen from day one, and then we continue to listen. So as of right now, we, inc we really struggle to, um, within our team, to make sure we always not only have listened, but continue to listen to what your spaces are saying, and then what you as members, and hopefully you are all members of CoVenture, and if you're not, then please, please see Mike afterwards. He will happily sign you up for a membership. Um, but that you are participating in your spaces and that you are uh, also taking advantage of the fact that you may need to work elsewhere when you're, going, when you're traveling. So some fun stats. Um, again, these, were, these haven't been brought fully up to date yet, but we'll skip past that point, is that it's just continuously growing. Um, as the number of spaces in the U.S. Uh, start topping, we'll add roughly another 3,000 spaces to the U.S. Um, and keep in mind the U.S. is in its infancy. Coworking is definitely poised to become a staple, not a trend. Uh, and that's what we're really excited to be functioning. We have a lot of fun, the fact that we have a 42-day onboard period and that there's over 600 spaces in our pipeline. Those are ones that are still being built. That is across four countries. And it is a lot of fun. These are all members that we get to talk to and spaces we get to play with. Now, we connected them together, the third lightning bolt. This is the fun stuff. We knew that when we got big enough, 
uh, when any network gets big enough, you get to play with toys that nobody else gets to play with. One of those toys is coming up right now. And that is when you were the connection, you were the foundation, you had access to the inventory and you had it connected to yourself. Reminds you in any kind of model, like maybe an Airbnb style model, that when you had to get more inventory, you just had to figure out where it was. Proximity has now reached a level to be able to access the inventory live against 347 spaces. That's your offices, that's your conference rooms, that's your suites, and being able to real time show companies um, how that inventory is available and start booking it within the system. This also announces that if you guys have been watching Office Depot, they're pivoting into co-working right now and they're pivoting in on Proximity's back and is, is also the channel partner for the distribution of Nomad, which is a brand agnostic way of traveling throughout the co-working industry no matter where you are. Think of your companies that have 10-person teams that travel. Now in one place you can manage all of those resources and access co-working spaces no matter where you are. So Nomad comes out. Uh, this one actually launches. It's in the middle of launching right now in Denver because there's a big co-working conference next week and this is present there. So we sped up production and made everybody upset and took away all their weekends and we were able to get this to market. Anybody who has a tech company knows how well that goes. Uh, but Nomad is one of, those, one of those toys. The other one is something that our competitors decided to, to uh, miss, we're thankful for. Uh, and that is when you're a network and they're all connected together, while the software industry for co-working spaces is about a hundred million dollar a year industry, uh, the processing of business within co-working is a multi-billion dollar business. Proximity took the time and a great effort and a great reward to our team to build the billing engine ahead of time rather than just connect to a processor. So we are now in the process of switching over our master billing to be a net processor, which allows us access to all of those funds as they're moving through the system. The other thing to talk about our competitors, because you're always supposed to have a competitor slide, is they are struggling. There's a couple good ones in there, but they're all centralized on just one feature uh, in the industry. They're not a full stack. And they're struggling to figure out why we keep gaining more and more traction, why we're onboarding so quickly. What's nice for us is we can convert their leads that come to us at about a 70% rate. The moment they see our value proposition, how much we have, our team, how cool we are, we, we convert at about a 70% rate. To date, knock on wood, I haven't even been cheating that much. Um, to date, we are at a zero attrition from the day we launched our beta through today. Our competitors have not been able to take a single person from us. Um, and I, as long as I get to keep saying that, the one that comes in, I swear to God, I'll probably have to like <laughs> cry because I've been saying it for a while. So numbers wise, we continue to evaluate this one. Like you see at the very top line, 450 spaces. We have to continue to evaluate this. The difficult part of having a network is trying to figure out what you're gonna do with it. Um, but what we do know is that spaces are expanding, that the revenue per space is expanding, and the line items that we continue to put into the system are looking quite nice. Uh, I will announce it here, though we have not announced it yet. Uh, Proximity inked a deal to allow uh, individual and business insurance at scale across the entire network so that companies can insure their spaces and businesses can insure their business directly through their co-working spaces, which will be the first of its kind. Uh, and that one will, will be a lot of fun for us. Health insurance is next. We had a question in the early panel about health insurance. It is coming. We will get there. So I'm supposed to be out raising five million, which is a tall order when you're previously angel backed. Uh, and through a lot of education, a lot of failure, um, a lot of pitches, we are trying to figure out exactly what we should be doing. 
Um, you know, it was a real treat to get to see Mark up here because he's a huge mentor. Um, but right now we're looking to raise five million. We're gonna adjust how many co-working spaces because that's gonna happen by the third quarter. Um, and we're doing it as intentfully as possible to maintain the control, but also really give credence to what we've built so far and what we still have to do. We're still in very early stages of what this is gonna mean. So I appreciate the invite. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me to come. I get, I get the benefit of representing an amazing team. Uh, I would not get to stand here and I get kind of hopefully not misty because especially there are people in the room that will report this back. Uh, our team's amazing and uh, everything we do, we do in house and this is all in the Western Slope of Colorado and just that alone is enough for me to say thank you to all of you to even taking the moment to support entrepreneurs and giving me the honor to just represent this company. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. So before we take a few questions, I do want to point out that one thing that's really unique about their Series A Ask is that you can participate at $10,000, which I think is a real shout out to this notion that you have to have all this money in order to participate. The idea that someone on the ground level could, could get involved is very exciting for us and for a lot of members of our community. So thank you for Absolutely. being creative with how you structure the ask. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a point of we're not afraid to have relationships. Uh, I don't mind having a lot of investor bases. It doesn't worry me to talk to people. Yeah. Uh, and we came from a friends and family round and from locals. I mean, people coming by and dropping checks off. And it was just, I don't know, I love it. Thanks for being here, Josh. A few Thanks, questions. Um, Dave. Debt Walk ads. us through a hypothetical. Real yeah, estate brothers, yeah, agent okay. calls. How this do you This is actually him? a pretty normal one. Uh, you're going to call for two reasons. You're going to call because you've decided that uh, you've heard it enough times and now you think you should add it to your building as a co-working space, which is cool. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to actually have the hard conversation with you as somewhat of a disinterested third party to say, okay, what do you want to do with it? What are you hoping it does for your building? Diversify foot traffic, uh, bring in um, a better rate per square foot. Uh, and then we're going to qualify it with one of the operators that is expanding. So it's really fun for us to be in the same alignment with our customers that as they're expanding, we've already profiled them. We can have a, lots of conversations about data in here if you guys want to really geek out with me. But needless to say, the idea of I know the building, I know the market, I know the spaces, and I know which ones would be a good fit for that building and the models that they operate on. So I get to have a one-to-one -one conversation with you to get it ready for that introduction so the space doesn't have to have the hard conversation. Uh, and that's how this is expanding. Quick little stat, I promise not to take too much. I could geek for a while. Okay. But um, the average co-working space owner, uh, eight months into their operation, once they break even, which our spaces are about eight months in, uh, is already searching for space number two and three. They typically don't go two, they go two and three. Um, what's that? With, uh, to their next locations, yeah. So. Another question? Yes, Dave. Talk about the oh, shared oh. payout model. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, okay, so I'll give you the high level of it, but it is, is the math on that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, so because we deal internationally, and because we know we are going to continue to, uh, as a as a um, consumer of the network, you will you will be purchasing credits. So it's um, Accenture right now that we're negotiating with. 
um, they'll have 200,000 credits, let's just say for basic math. Uh, the space, which is unique to our platform, actually sets what those resources are worth. Very much like an Airbnb, you set it, and that's something unique to us. So let's say you want $20 for the conference room booking for an hour. We convert that to credits, um, and there's a margin within there where we take the margin, plus we're the processor. Uh, so the goal is that you stand there with an app, which is that we have all of that out, and you don't necessarily need a community manager because those people are very busy, and you say, okay, I've got 10 spaces around me, or I have a lot of these conference rooms, whatever they're available, this one's the closest to me, it's 200 credits, it's 20 credits, whatever it is, I'll take that. Pays the space immediately for it, and books and takes it out of their resources. What's neat is for a big company, you're able to identify how many resources you want each person to consume or the team to consume so that your team doesn't, it can have an office all over the place, can have a desk wherever they want to, but it's all housed in one HR platform. Um, so I hope that answers it, but it's most of that answer. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for questions. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you. Yeah. So thank you for being here, and I'm excited and encourage you to stay around to, to party. But before we do that, I want us to give a, a quick shout out to our panel. If I could have our panelists kind of stand up and turn to the crowd, I want to introduce a few people. We've got Sean from Four Points Vending from Steamboat, Dave Harris from Rocky Venture Fund. We have Dave all the way from Minnesota, but representing a fund from Southern California. Bonnie from Telluride Venture Fund, and of course, Mark, who is your keynote speaker from the Greater Colorado Fund. Thank you so much for being here and for your ongoing support. And then let's have our entrepreneurs stand up and face the crowd, and would you please all give them a, a warm round of applause. Yeah. So a few last words. Tonight, wouldn't have happened without a, a massive subsidized public-private partnership. And all of those names I mentioned have been a critical part of our funding, of our partnerships to take us to this next level. I want to make a special invitation to join us in some way, shape, or form, to become a mentor, to become a, a partner in some capacity, to, to, to kind of take what Mark suggested and, and do one thing for one of the businesses here today to help them take the next step. But I think mostly we would love for some of you to become our philanthropic partner. I mean, if you, if you see something about economic resiliency that resonates with you, come see me after, after this event, and I, I'll be happy to sort of walk you through the process of how we get you involved or your foundation involved, but we're grateful for you to be here tonight. I want to kind of briefly mention that this is just the beginning of, of this whole year. We've got all kinds of programs that we're going to roll out over the next year. Coventure.io is our website. It's got all our programs and events. We encourage you to, to visit often to become a member of our space. It's only $25 a month to become a member, and you have access to all these events. You get VIP entry into to special, special events that, that we, we kind of keep with a, our closed community. But for that nominal amount, you have access to all that's about to happen, and not just in Carbondale, but within this, this larger ecosystem. We have ideation starting next Saturday with our director of operations and our co-founder, Evan Zislis. He does a great job kind of helping those entry-level entrepreneurs figure out their brand and, and just kind of get the story right before they take that next step. In May, we're going to have our incubation program, which is a quarterly program we offer. It's a four-week deep, deep dive. We help companies, we help 
entrepreneurs get their go-to-market strategy together. And if you want to be up here on stage next year or the year after, if you want to have an opportunity to have a, a real impact on our community and to really connect with investors, join us. I mean, there is a path to the Accelerator program. Andrea is, I think, our first who kind of started with us at the beginning, and now she's here on stage. So thank you to all those who've kind of helped us and help people get here this far. And just know that we've got a team of volunteers and, and, and a great team that have sort of helped to put all this together. And there's going to be sign-up sheets at the back. Um, our director of operation, Evan, could you raise your hand? Right by that table is a sign-up sheet. Please get your name on one form or another, whether it's to take a program or to become a volunteer. We welcome you to become a part of the community. And I want to give a final big thank you to our team. Could I have everybody from CoVenture stand up for a minute? Those volunteers and people who are here are, are, are please give them a round of applause. Thank you. I want to give a special thanks to our accelerated coaches. Jessica Laura has done just tremendous job with, with so many of these, these companies, and we look forward to seeing how more she can impact and our other coaches can impact local companies. So Jessica, thank you so much. And Jonathan, who couldn't be with us today, has done a great job as well. Um, I want to give a really special shout out to Evan Zislis, our director of operations and, and my co-founder. He's, I mean, the next level, those of you who were here last year and, and, and to see how far we've come and the vision and the message, like that's all Evan. And I'm just, Evan, thank you from the heart for, for all that you've done. And so as we bring this second Mountain Pitch Summit to a close, I would like to invite my other co-founder and the chairman of our board, Tyler Mabius. My gratitude to Tyler is, it, I can't put it into words. I mean, he stepped up in, in, at, our, at our most dire hour of need and, and really has been more than just a partner, but has really brought his mind and his resources to bear to help us take it to this next level. So it's with great gratitude that I introduce Tyler Mabius, who is been a great friend of this organization. Hey, big hand of applause to, uh, to Mike Lowe. Um, we would not be here tonight if it wasn't for this man's vision, his uh, tenacity, and his perseverance to, uh, to get us here. It's been, uh, it's been a big rock to push. And um, I am super grateful to be here, to be a part of this. Um, it was about a year ago, I was actually sitting with our mayor, Dan, and explaining what I think... Um, what I needed to support my business here and that we needed a co-working space and we needed a place that we could bring in talent into the valley so that we could continue to grow this. And he said, well, you know what Mike's doing with Glen X, don't you? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he's like, oh, well, you need to talk to Mike. And um, so a year ago, we started talking and here we are. And as any entrepreneur, you know, to see an idea come to fruition is... Uh, is um, a pretty exciting moment and to be on this adventure and this journey with this team is is quite an honor um, and you know tonight there was a lot of focus on capitalism obviously and I'm a huge believer in capitalism um, it's good because it creates value it's ethical because it's a voluntary exchange um, it's noble because it elevates our existence and it's heroic because it brings humanity out of poverty and promotes prosperity. And what I'm really excited about is taking capitalism here 
and aligning it with the values of this valley, which is conscious capitalism and really bringing a focus to that and what that means. Um, and we're, as CoVenture, we're promoting the tenets of conscious capitalism, which is a movement um, of putting people before profits. And how is it that we can help these future entrepreneurs be more conscious? And so with that, we're going to um, practice a little conscious capitalism. So I'd like to ask for uh, everybody to sit up straight in your chairs, feet down, connect to the ground. Yeah? Um, and I'm going to start with asking that uh, we take three big breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. Close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. So. One more, large inhale, let it out. And let's start with some gratitudes, and that we're grateful that we're here together as a community, grateful for all of the support and the amazing talent that we have here around us, under this beautiful shadow of Mount Sopris, with this clean water and this clean air. And I'd also like to take a moment for all of us just to set an intention on how can we all help achieve and manifest the higher purpose of why we're all here, to help each other realize and manifest our greatest contribution that we can give to each other along this journey. Thank you. And I was going to do an ohm. And so we're going to do one ohm together because a community that ohms together grows together. And based on some of the looks, it gives you a little experience of what it means to be an entrepreneur to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. So uh, we're going to inhale for ohm. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. Have a great night. <laughs> Woo!